they don't. Mike Cyber Radio is an independent podcast. The views and opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests only and do not necessarily reflect those of any broadcasters that any of us either have been, am now, or will be affiliated with. Enjoy the show! Welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio. I am your host. If you'd like to get a hold of me, I am at Mike Seibert Radio. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and write into the mailbag, Radio at gmail.com. And that spelling, as always, is S-E-I-B-E-R-T, just like it sounds. This is the podcast radio show where I talk about stuff and things that are on my mind every week from Seattle, featuring spotlight interviews, independent music, and occasionally more. And this week, it's topics picked by you. And then later, after the main episode, I want to share with you an excerpt of the new season of my Human Trafficking Awareness podcast, uh, talking about an event that I'm proud to be participating in, the largest anti-human trafficking event in Washington State, the annual Break the Chains of Human Trafficking 5K, presented by Federal Way Coalition Against Trafficking. All of that and more on this all-new episode of Mike Seibert Radio, but first... I'm excited to announce a brand new way you can interact with the show. That's right. You can now raise your voice by calling the Mike Seibert Radio hotline and leave a voicemail message with your name and the stuff and things on your mind, including questions and comments for the show and what you'd like to hear me talk about. So here's the deal. Write down this number because you're going to need it. 231-224-MIKE. I know. It's my name. M-I-K-E. That's 231 231- Two two four six four five three. Again, area code two three one two two four. Mike M I K E two three one two two four. Mike. It's uh, it's something I've always wanted to do, but just never quite got around to doing it. Uh, but I, uh, I, I got. I get inspiration at weird times for weird reasons. And after last week's show and uh, telling my Arthur Burghardt story, I realized it would be pretty cool, actually, to have a separate phone line for the podcast. Uh, Besides, it was, um, you know, going further back, it was leaving voicemails for BJ Shea's Geek Nation and later the Pants Party and uh, all of those shows back in the day that I interacted with, uh, leaving those voicemails that really got me to feel like I was a part of the show. So I'm stoked to have that platform available for you now so you can be a part of the podcast too. Again, that is 231-224-MIKE is the number you need to have saved into your phones. Well, let's get back to things here with some shout outs. 
Well, first of all, uh, thanks to everybody who sent me topics in this week to riff on. I really appreciate it. Um, so let's uh, let's start with Matt and Tim, the Not So Much But Us show. Uh, they responded uh, to a post I put on Instagram with just a single response. They wrote, The Dirt, which I'm assuming is the Motley Crue uh, biopic uh, documentary Netflix movie. Um, But here's the deal. I don't have Netflix, so I haven't watched it. And, you know, I I just watched the trailer before I started recording here, and it looks looks fine. Uh, But um, unfortunately, guys, not something I'm going to be beating down uh, the door to go check out. I like Motley Crue just fine. Um, and I, and I know they have a, you know, debaucherous past, you know, being eighties hair metal, uh, pioneers and all of that other stuff. But yeah, I, I don't have Netflix. Um, you know, I, I keep meaning to do it because it's funny. I'm a T-Mobile customer and because of that, I think I have like a free Netflix subscription that like I'm not using. Um, I just haven't taken the time or opportunity and now that like the marvel shows have all been axed i don't really know if there's a huge hurry uh for me to get uh get my netflix uh hooked up i mean i i suppose i'd really like to check out uh like the toys that made us and and uh you know maybe a couple other things here and there but i just i i don't know if i have that that primal need uh right now i mean maybe like when uh um you know the the new season of lucifer uh drops i i might have to check that out but yeah no no netflix i i didn't read the book uh, that uh, the dirt is based off of. In fact, is this a movie? Is it a series? I couldn't really tell. I don't really know. And yeah, it's unfortunately kind of off my radar, even though uh, a couple of folks that I work with uh, seem to be uh, pretty excited about it. Uh, sorry, I don't have a better answer for that. Uh, let's uh, let's keep moving. Uh, Killing Spree at Late Night Death, friend of the show and frequent guest co-host. Um, he's uh, He's got the Disney Fox merger on his mind. And I, I know in particular he's really concerned about the potential treatment of the Alien and Predator franchises now that those are kind of under the house of the mouse. And I know a lot of us are really excited about the idea of all of the Marvel characters kind of being under that that same umbrella. Obviously, the the X-Men characters and the Fantastic Four characters, uh, you know, potentially becoming a part of the uh, larger MCU. Um, but for me, hot take wise, and, I, and this isn't a new thought, but I'm concerned about too much IP being under one umbrella, uh, too much intellectual property in one place and uh like like for example uh killing spree himself uh recently tweeted um about back when wwe uh bought out wcw well i think it was wwf at the time i i don't remember um but anyway it's it's one of those things where you almost you you need competition because like in um in a monopoly it just you know creativity kind of stagnates and the the Disney model of basically just 
purchasing everything that um, that is popular and money making. And actually, you know what? Just side tangent. Um, I I know a lot of folks have kind of been down on the mouse for like you know like their SJW agenda or or whatever. Um, here's the deal. The Walt Disney Company is in the business of making money. Now, if there if there comes a point where you can't squeeze enough money out of a certain audience, you're going to kind of try to expand and squeeze some money out of different audiences. And if that involves um, some occasional pandering, well, that's I mean, that's something for them to try because, you know, knuckleheads like me, I'm going to be there. Uh, regardless. Um, but I, I, I was thinking about this recently and like, um, you know, uh, audience tastes were changing and, you know, moving away from like traditional 2D animation and more towards the 3D animation. You know, people really like them Pixar movies. So Disney snaps up Pixar. And now, uh, and it's it's been so long now that people kind of forget that Pixar was kind of like uh, kind of like an imprint. It was kind of like its own thing that just distributed through Disney. It wasn't actually like a, like a Disney uh, uh, company. It wasn't like an arm of the company at at that time. Um, likewise, same deal with you know Star Wars and and Lucasfilm. You know, it's like uh, Disney saw an opportunity to make more money so they acquired that and have since made their money that that additional that that what was it like 4.8 billion they've since made that a couple few times over uh with these uh uh last batch of movies so again the mouse is there to make money. You know, they, they see that people really enjoy the Marvel comics characters and people are really kind of gravitating, uh, to these Marvel cinematic universe movies. I mean, you know, I mean like the, the first movie that was distributed by Disney was the Avengers, you know, and this was back in like 2012. So, um, Again, it's like I I I sometimes think that the the argument of the SJWs or whatever that means, I think that argument gets a little thin with me sometimes. But um, but yeah, no, Disney's there to make money. That's that that is their primary interest. And if you think the mouse is interested in like social politics or whatever, I I just I just don't know if that's the case. Now, for for me, at least what what I would like to see out of this, you know, uh, post Fox Disney merger thing is try to maintain separation. So, like, for example, run 20th Century Fox as an imprint, you know, like like Touchstone Pictures or something like that, where honestly, not all that dissimilar to Marvel Studios, because, I mean, don't forget that, you know, while there's that overwrought animation uh, at the beginning of every Marvel Studios movie that just keeps getting more and more intricate and elaborate as it goes, um, but there you're not seeing... Uh, the Disney castle at, at the beginning of Marvel movies. And I think if you keep 
the fanfare and the iconography and and all of those things that people associate with 20th Century Fox, I don't know if anybody's really going to notice. And I would imagine that, you know, as long as these Fox properties continue to make money, then um, then they'd be left the hell alone. Like, for example, I would imagine that Deadpool 3 is going to be just run through like the 20th Century Fox imprint. They've already said that that corner of the X-Men Deadpool universe is going to be kind of left the hell alone. Um, and you do that. But here's the deal. You look at something like, say, like The Predator. The Predator still fucking sucks. That made no money at the box office. So one, why would Disney want to make another Predator movie if it's kind of a turd. I mean, I think I think it's time for the Predator to just kind of like sit on the shelf for a few, you know, kind of put it in franchise jail. And then when the right creative team comes along, dust it off a little bit and then maybe you can do something with it. Um, that that's that's just my random hot take. Um, the The other thing that I think folks lose sight of is you know in their desire and excitement and i understand it's all exciting you know you get you get you get a a fresh launch of the x-men because holy crap does that dark phoenix look like a turd and who knows if that uh if that new mutants movie is even going to come out i mean it's like i mean i i think that movie has been done and on the shelf for what going on two years now um yeah i mean that movie's not coming out but um but but in the excitement to uh you know see these characters um people have lost jobs i mean it's like i i i forget where i read it but something like like 2000 people have already been let go or something like that uh you know the the whole fox searchlight uh, imprint was completely shuttered, you know, and that's the thing that you get when you have these types of mergers. There's certain amounts of infrastructure that, quite frankly, you just don't need when you have a merged uh, company. So, you know, let's let's think about things. I mean, it's it's okay to have multiple studios. I mean, it's like I keep thinking, ironically enough, it's from a Disney Pixar movie, but I think I keep coming back to like the the apocalyptic vision of the world of Wall-E where basically everything is just Walmart <laughs> and it's all or, or by and large, sorry. Uh but anyway, you know, it's where everything is just homogeneously the same and I think with uh, the Disney acquisition of so much intellectual property, I think we might end up at that space at some point where, again, it's like everything is Disney. So uh, what that means for the content, I, I couldn't say. But hey, 
you know, maybe we'll get a uh, cleaned up version of the original Star Wars trilogy. So that that uh, that that could be rad. Um, and speaking of Star Wars, uh, my buddy uh, Jeremy, a.k.a. Yakko from the Transmissions podcast and his own Yakko Yaks podcast asks, um, outside of Transformers, have you ever been to a single fandom uh, focused convention? If so, uh, it would be interesting to hear you talk about that. I'm going to Star Wars Celebration next week and I am prepared to have my mind blown. Um, I didn't ask Jeremy a follow-up question to see if like that was his first uh, Star Star Wars celebration or not. Um, but as for me, for uh, single fandom-based uh, conventions, honestly, no. Um, I've always gone to larger conventions like Emerald City Comic Con or Jet City Comic Show, and um, I had never traveled out of state uh, for a fan show prior to last year. But now... Um, I've been to three different Transformers conventions in less than a year. You know, Cybefest uh, last August, uh, TFCon Chicago in October, and now TFCon LA uh, last month. And I, I, I was really thinking about this after I got home from TFCon LA and I was kind of reflecting a bit. It's like, why, why Transformers and not, say, uh, Star Wars? Because... Um, you know, my Star Wars fandom uh, for a time was just as uh, voracious and intense as my Transformers fandom. And in fact, actually, to to dig a little deeper, I, I would say where I'm at currently today, um, it's kind of flip flopped. Um, because of the lot of the stuff that I've talked about recently, you know, just, uh, the, the friendships I've made, uh, the connections I've made, and I feel like I've really kind of, uh, been welcomed back into Transformers fandom, whereas, um, my fandom with Star Wars has kind of cooled a bit. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to The Mandalorian, um, I'm probably going to subscribe to that Disney Plus service just to just to get that. Um, I think the idea of having uh, Taika Waititi as uh, as IG88 I think is is brilliant because you know if if basically you're doing Korg from Thor Ragnarok as as uh, IG88 I you know that could be a lot of fun. I'm kind of okay with that, and I'm kind of curious to see what that story is or what they do uh, with that show. I mean, I, I, I'm a sucker for the, uh, for the bucket heads. I mean, but even so, it's like, you know, um, my thoughts on the last couple movies are, are very well documented in, in this podcast and probably everywhere else. Uh, but so, so I don't want to get too deep into that here, but suffice it to say that, yeah, I, I think my fandom is cooled and I think a lot of it is because of the attitude towards fans like me. I, I ironically enough feel more welcomed, uh, as a fan of Transformers currently as I do a fan of Star Wars. So and and there could be a number of reasons uh, for that. But I mean, my personal 
hot take is that it's the attitude of the material itself. It's like, um, we're, we're just waiting for the old guard to die off. Um, this material isn't for you. And quite frankly, we don't want you. So I, um, yeah, again, see some of my past episodes on that, but yeah, that that's, that's kind of how I feel about Star Wars. I mean, you know, Boba Fett will always be one of my favorite characters. I, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of affection for uh, Django also, you know, and his rocket pack and his pistol and all of that other stuff. And, and there's, there's a lot that I like about the Star Wars universe, but it's odd that I do find myself being pulled to fandoms that I was more into when I was younger. Like I, I, um, my, uh, my star Wars fandom kind of hit a, I mean, aside from when I was five years old and, you know, going to see return of the Jedi and playing with all the toys. I mean, I had a huge star Wars phase. And then when everybody else kind of jumped off in the late eighties and early nineties, I was kind of there. I'm like, ah, star Wars, whatever. But I rediscovered it in high school. Um, like, uh, a year before the special editions hit theater. So this would have been like 1996. Um, and yeah, just, you know, kind of, you know, rekindled, uh, my love for it. And it wasn't until say like last year, year before where again, it kind of ramped down. But my point being is I've, I've never really felt the call to want to go to a Star Wars specific uh, convention. And now that I've been to a couple uh, Transformers conventions, I I still don't think I want to go to a Star Wars convention because the fandom is so much larger. Uh, whereas with Transformers, it is a deep fandom. I'm not trying to say that it's not because like, you know, with all of the different generations and TV shows and comic books and toys and iterations, you have a lot of stuff that's parallel with Star Wars, but Star Wars is much deeper in the pop cultural zeitgeist in a way that Transformers almost is, but isn't quite um, maybe I'd have to think on that more to, uh, you know, maybe ruminate on that and, and talk on that more. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's an awesome question, Jeremy, but no, I, I have not been to a specific fan focused conventions outside of Transformers. And currently I'm not sure that I want to, because I'm, I'm really enjoying my, uh, uh, reinvigorated, uh, interest in the Transformers fandom. So that's, I, I think, I think that's kind of why I want to plant my flag, uh, uh, for now, but but again, that's that's a awesome, thought provoking question um, uh, from the Super Movie Brothers podcast. Uh, uh, they tweeted at me, "Who will sit on the Iron Throne come the end of Game of Thrones? Explain your theory." Okay, so here we go. Um, I am going to go with the Bud Knight. I I think the 
after the events of that fateful Super Bowl commercial, uh, the Bud Knight will become a vengeful spirit, a revenant raised from the dead with dark magic and necromancy and and corn syrup or or whatever the hell else is going on in those commercials. And then that's that's how that will go. You know, the, the Bud Knight will just, you know, wreak unspeakable vengeance upon those who have wronged him. I don't watch Game of Thrones. And the thing that's interesting is like, so I saw a lot of press regarding that, that Super Bowl commercial and that crossover where basically they... You were so bold to, you know, uh, use this uh, uh, marketing for the last season of Game of Thrones to kill off the uh, uh, the mascot for uh, <laughs> Bud Light. But it's weird, though, because like now that the events of that commercial have happened where if I if I'm remembering this correctly, this these dragons show up and some other you know, maybe there's zombies, there's people in armor. I I don't know. But anyway, um uh everybody gets killed. Uh including the Bud Knight and all of, you know, the the the, the King people and all the folks that we've been with um, in this recent batch of commercials. And I felt at the time, because again, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I do understand it by reputation, is that that's kind of their deal. It's like, you know, they'll set up characters and then cross them off brutally. So this felt remarkably on brand. But the problem now is uh, the only thing I can think of is like uh, that that uh, a bank robbery at the at the beginning of uh, Dark Knight. You and your friends are dead. So, yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs> one more time. You and your friends are dead. So, yeah, I, I'm watching this. And I'm like, all of these characters are dead. So it's like th- this this storytelling device that they're they're doing in these uh, uh, Bud Light commercials. It just it just doesn't work. You and your friends are dead. So, but yeah, no, I I don't watch Game of Thrones, so I can't really tell you much about any of the characters. It's it's weird. I uh, I'm a sci-fi guy. I I like uh, my robots and my ray guns and jetpacks and technology. Um, and you know, when I was younger, I, I actually gravitated more towards Star Trek than Star Wars because Star Wars kind of had like a little bit of that, that mysticism, um, in it. And, um, you know, see my previous, uh, comments that I was just talking about with regards to, you know, my cooling fandom of Star Wars. And I think, yeah, maybe it's just, you know, finally I I just I I'm not as down uh with a, a Mary Poppins space magic as I as I was um uh when I was younger. Uh but anyway, like I I'm not a huge fan of fantasy. Like I, you know, I I've got friends that'll give me a hard time for not liking them Lord of the Rings movies. I've seen each one of them once in the theater when it came out. That's it. Um, and none of them Hobbit movies. I, I skipped all that. And um, I, I had somebody recently try to sell me on like watching like the extended editions of like the the Lord of the Rings movie. I, I'm like, why would I want to watch more 
of something that I'm less interested in. Why? Why? And and I and I've heard this argument a few times. Like, uh, um, I've had people tell me that about like uh, Batman v Superman: colon, Dawn of the Rise of the R-rated Ultimate Cut uh, Justice Carnival, to where it's like if you watch that Ultimate Edition, sun, suddenly it fixes that movie. Um, but if that movie is garbage, why would I want to watch more of it? Why, why is more garbage, um, better? How, how, how does more garbage fix it anyway? Uh, yeah, no, I'm just, I, I'm not a fantasy guy. I, I got nothing against people that are, and I know that the game of Thrones is incredibly, uh, uh, popular. And, um, so I was having these conversations with a, with a buddy of mine at work. And, oh, and we were talking about the Bud Knight thing because, like, apparently there, at one point in the commercial, uh, a larger fellow um, attacks the Bud Knight and I can't tell if it, like, he rips his head off or um, just takes his helmet off. It, it was very, very unclear. Um, but uh, this guy at work told me that it was, like, kind of sort of based on this fight from uh, an episode of Game of Thrones and he uh, told me to go to the YouTubes and type in like uh, oh what was it uh, the mountain uh, oh uh, Viper versus the mountain and, and I watched that and I, I'm watching this and I see that the, th- the, the clip is like six and a half minutes and I'm already starting to groan and get itchy. And it's interesting because, again, I don't know who any of these characters are. There's two people. They're doing like this trial by combat thing. There's like one dude who is uh, kind of uh, wily and another dude that's like just huge wearing like hulking armor. I'm uh, presuming that's this this mountain fellow. Anyway, the the uh, um, this other guy, the, this Viper dude, he's like, you know, kind of like skipping and dancing around and doing like a lot of flippy flippy flourishy stuff it kind of it was kind of very Darth Maul to me like at one point he has like a staff and he's you know doing some like wushu type stuff and he comes across as really cocky and I was like I already hate this guy this dude is obnoxious because meanwhile this mountain dude is just like you know totally nonplussed by the whole thing and then they fight and it's like ooh this is pretty damn brutal and it looks like that oh oh by the way spoilers for this thing that i don't really know i'm understanding i'm spoiling so if if you don't want to be spoiled on the outcome of the the viper versus the mountain i don't know why these people have have I mean, are they biker names i don't know anyway uh uh maybe skip ahead about a minute or so and uh and you'll be um you'll probably it, actually if you hit skip twice you'll probably land on exactly when i spoil it so um apologies for that but anyhow um so yeah so they fight and uh uh, the mountain is getting his ass kicked. He's, you know, got like the back of his leg all tore up. He's like, you know, got torn Achilles and he's getting down. And, um, this Viper dude stands over him. He's, he's very, uh, he's gloating at this point and, you know, he's, he's going to kill this mountain dude. And I forget what the reversal was, but basically it's like, he he does like this reversal move, gets the upper hand, jams his thumbs into this this dude's eyes, and um, and basically just kind of keeps pushing until his head pops, 
And it was great. It was one of those things where, like, we we were me and my uh, buddy were we were in a closed door studio, uh, so it's not like you know the boss was going to walk by or something like that. But I I could not help it. Like when when that dude's head pops like a watermelon, I actually did a like yeah. <laughs> it was because I I I wasn't expecting the. Um, the violence to be as graphic and visceral as it was, and basically, my my buddy explains to me that that's that's the whole show. You know, it's all graphic violence and and profound nudity and and all that. And I guess there's like some mild incest also. Ew. Um. So yeah, sorry, uh, Super Movie Bros. I uh, uh, I don't have a good question. Uh, a good answer to who will sit on the Iron Throne at the end of Game of Thrones. I would imagine that, well, I guess to tie things together, I'm thinking it's going to be um, the Bud Knight sitting on a uh, chair pad made out of Merkin. All right, we got to move on. Uh, Mike Marlowe from the Fellowship of the Geeks podcast asks, what are you watching these days? Um I find that it's easier for me to articulate um, what I don't like than what I do. Uh, my wife and I uh, recently tried a ABC uh, drama called uh, Whiskey Cavalier, uh, star- starring uh, Lauren Cohan, uh, formerly of The Walking Dead, and uh, Scott Foley. And that show just sucks. I mean, it was it was sold in the in the commercials as kind of like a fun, uh, flirty, fizzy spy type of thing, you know, kind of like, you know, mismatched partners type of thing. But uh, the leads just have like no chemistry. The uh, uh, Lauren Cohan is actively unlikable. Um, and Scott Foley is just, uh, again, just, uh, uh, wasted and just no good. And the, but, but the thing that really, uh, makes it a huge turnoff for me is the supporting characters. I mean, it's, you, it's your, um, your, your millennial stereotypes, you know, it's, uh, um, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's a very, it, we we gave it like the standard three episode challenge and on episode three we chuckled a little bit and it gave us like a couple character beats to where it's like you know what let's give it one more so we gave it a fourth episode and that one was even more wretched than the previous two that we had seen so we uh we dumped that um uh a show that i'm still hate watching i don't i don't even know why i'm watching this well i i could tell you why i'm watching it uh gotham um so there's two episodes left until the entire series is over i have no idea how the hell they're going to think about wrapping this nonsense up but this show is garbage i um i am a huge batman fan um in fact actually you know just recently celebrated 80 years of uh, uh, Batman celebrating the the release of uh, Detective Comics number twenty seven back in uh, nineteen thirty nine uh, last week, um, I don't even know if I can articulate why I dislike Gotham so much. Um, I I think maybe because it's it's too ambitiously wacky. Um, 
I, I've it's not my thought, but I've heard somebody uh, theorize that if you recontextualize Gotham as less of a uh, Batman prequel for whatever contemporary version of of Batman you want it to be. Um, and think of it more as a prequel to Batman 66, you know, Adam West and, and whatnot. It's just funny to think about because one of the the things that that's interesting about Gotham is that it is so ridiculous and for my taste, not in a good way. Um, the thing that's frustrating for me, though, and why it continues to be a hate watch is because almost all of the actors and the performers are really quite good. Um, I like Ben McKenzie as as Jim Gordon and Donald Logue is a national treasure that must be protected. So the thing that frustrates me is that occasionally you will get flashes of something that's halfway cool. It's like, oh, I like how those characters are interacting or like, oh, I like what you did there. But in this uh, most recent episode that I watched, um, so we finally got to Trey Table Bane where um, he's he's like half a robot. And um, the thing that really, the, the one that the, it really gave me the hives is that not only does he have like a mask and it's got like, you know, lights in it for some reason, why a breathing mask needs LED lights, I don't know. But this uh this guy, uh I, I don't know the the actor's name, but he starts doing a discount Tom Hardy voice. I mean, we're we are doing Tom Hardly and it sucks. It's it's so bad. Um yeah, I mean I mean, still got to wait another couple weeks, but um, I, you know, I mean, shoot. I mean, there's two episodes left. I'm just going to wait it out. But man, this thing just needs to end because it's it's wretched. Now, um, the other show, though, that isn't wretched on the Fox network, and you've heard me talk about this uh, uh, pretty extensively on previous podcasts as well, is uh, the Orville. And this is a show that I am still baffled is as magnificent as it is because it's it's a thinly veiled, very thinly. In fact, actually, you know, I'll just put this. It's it, it's a it's a not so thinly veiled uh, riff on Star Trek. One would argue like a Star Trek ripoff. Is it third party Star Trek? Ah. Anyway, um, it's, uh, you know, it's a riff on the Star Trek tropes through the kaleidoscope of Seth MacFarlane, you know, of uh, Family Guy fame. And for me, there's no reason why this should work, because I've never liked Family Guy, even when everybody else did. I just it was and, and I couldn't even tell you now what it was about Family Guy that bugged me. Um I don't know if it's something as simplistic as it was just too crass for my liking. I don't know. Um, but I, I just, I, I've never liked it. Um, and so to take that sensibility and apply it to Star Trek, I was like, get out of here. And then I watched the, the first 
episode or maybe first couple episodes. And it's like, I see what the show is kind of trying to do. We're not doing Family Guy in space, but with what they are doing, I liked it better when it was called Star Trek The Next Generation. And I don't remember exactly which episode it was that turned my head, but like uh, partway through season one, there was an episode that turned my head. Uh, maybe it was when the they went to the planet where people are, uh, their, their entire culture is based upon uh, upvoting and downvoting, you know, like, uh, like it's like the, the planet of the Reddit people. <laughs> um, and, and that's, that's what makes the show work is that it takes a lot of uh, Star Trek storytelling and a lot of Star Trek tropes and puts it through the kaleidoscope of 2019 sensibilities. You know, basically things that uh, technologically or societally weren't around in the late 60s with the original series and they weren't around in the late 80s up through the late nineties when we're doing the next generation. So, um, I like that it's, um, I, I was going to say the pop culture references, but they, they don't really lean into that. It's really more about current 2019 society and, you know, touchstones of technology and things like that. Like, for example, um, and the reason why I'm bringing this up now is because the uh, the most recent episode, uh, they find a uh, time capsule. Um, it was, it's like an archaeological dig on Earth, and they find a uh, time capsule from 2015 with all of these, you know, 2015 artifacts in there, including a old uh cell phone and so i uh i found a clip that that i pulled up off of uh their facebook page and so this is a uh archaeologist uh talking to the crew of the orville about uh forensically what uh what they've discovered after going through uh text messages from a a a 400 year old uh cell phone look at this She's clearly asking her friend where to find the nearest repair service for her device. But instead of writing wireless telecommunications facility, she just wrote WTF. And we can decode things like this by applying historical context. Amazing. (laughs) That's silly. Um, And that clip right there really kind of illustrates why the show is better than it deserves to be because that actor that you just heard it's Tim Russ dude played Tuvok on on Star Trek Voyager and it's it's interesting the uh the deep hole of deep rabbit hole of veteran Star Trek actors uh, that show up on the Orville. It's weird, and it's one of those things as like a longtime Trek fan, it always makes me lean up in my chair just a little bit more. And it and it's not pandering. Like he's he here he's just a guy. He's you know, he's the archaeologist. So they're not putting Vulcan ears on him or, you know, really leaning into anything uh ridiculous like that. But man, I, I gotta tell you this uh this most recent episode, uh this uh this one that I'm talking about here, um it, it was it was a heartbreaker. 
in, in a way that a lot of the best Star Trek episodes were, you know, uh, City on the Edge of Forever, uh, The Inner Light, um, you know, just kind of, you know, name your um, all time great Star Trek episodes that that really gave you the feels. And I, I would throw this one in there as well, um, because basically through their 25th century technology and, and this is like in trailers and stuff. So it's not it's not a huge spoiler, but basically um, through this uh, uh, cell phone uh there's enough data in there between text messages correspondence and all that other stuff that their their hollow simulator the the holodeck is basically able to recreate this person's life and the helmsman basically falls in love with a ghost from the past and it's uh it's again it, it it's really heart-wrenching um but meanwhile, so you have that where you have the A plot of the this person basically uh, falling in love with a with a digital ghost. But then meanwhile, uh, Bordis uh, discovers a different artifact from the time capsule and becomes addicted to cigarettes. And that's kind of like the the uh, B plot where, you know, he and his mate Clyden are, you know, uh, uh, hiding cigarettes from each other. And because it's uh, uh, nicotine is highly addictive to their particular species. And and again, it's 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 played for laughs, but it's also one of those things where, you know, we're we're still kind of taking jabs at uh, current modern society. And I think that's what makes this show work so so very well is that again taking uh contemporary sensibilities and through the kaleidoscope of kind of like a star trek homage i okay here here's another hot take i've only watched uh like the first either first episode or first two episodes of star trek discovery whatever they played on cbs tv that I could actually watch on TV without having to uh, get behind a paywall and download an app. Um, I I haven't seen Discovery beyond that, but from what my understanding is, is that you know it's dark, it's grim, it's gritty. Um, it's also incredibly progressive, uh, from what I understand, which is really really cool. But um, I think the sensibilities of the Orville kind of more closely match uh, the original Roddenberry, uh, Gene Roddenberry uh, type uh, vision of a utopian future and I I kind of like that and you know not to um, you know get too earnest here but um, I, I'm okay with hopeful utopian fiction um, I think there's enough dystopia to go around um and so yeah, I think something that that makes me feel good and smile well occasionally, you know, again, it kind of heart wrenching and stuff, but still, it's it's a very fun episode. Um, I know uh, my buddies from the Autopod Decepticast, uh, both Caleb and Ryan, are huge Star Trek fans also. Um, and Caleb has seen the first episode and hasn't been back to it. And Ryan's got it in his, you know, in his queue, ready to watch. I think he found it on Hulu. Um, but 
I, I'm not sure where my in is to come at these guys being Star Trek fans and, and to, you know, figuratively and, uh, you know, grab them by the shoulders and say, no, you need to be watching the show because as a fan of this material, there's a lot that will resonate with you and it'll, you'll really like it. It's not, it's not a hollow imitation. It feels like it and it feels like it could be because it's, the the set design um is weirdly cheap and i was kind of off put by that through the first season but now i've kind of gotten used to it um to where like if they actually spent more money on set design and costumes and all that i would think it would be weird um the the low rent aesthetic is actually kind of charming i think um but Again, it's a lot of fun. Um, I think if you're a, um, well, if you're a casual fan, you'll really like it. And if you're like a dyed in the wool Star Trek fan, I think you would really like, I I would, I would sell you an Orville before I would try to sell you a discovery. I guess let's just, uh, leave it there that way. But you know, after, after the season wraps up, uh, uh, we've been talking and I know, uh, killing spree is a, uh, pretty big fan as well. And he was interested in, uh, doing a retrospective kind of on like the, uh, the two seasons of the series, um, along with returning guest co-host Dave Sanders. He's a, he's a fan as well. Um, and he and I have talked about uh, the Orville uh, pretty extensively before um, also. But yeah, anyway, we're, we're going to do a retrospective um, uh, probably probably like summertime or something. So, um, so you have that to look forward to. Uh, but anyway, uh, speaking of, uh, Dave had a topic he wanted me to bring up as well. Uh, he posted on my Facebook, uh, WrestleMania is this weekend, plus John Oliver uh, just put out a piece on last week tonight talking about the company and their treatment of talent as independent contractors, uh, referring, obviously, uh, to the WWE. Uh, here is a clip that I found on The Hollywood Reporter that, that kind of catches us up. Tag teams, cage matches, and now CEOs versus talk show hosts. John Oliver is not getting in the ring just yet, but using his words to attack WWE CEO Vince McMahon. While the character Vince is an asshole, it's important to know that the real Vince is also an asshole. <laughs> and, and many fans legitimately hate him because while the WWE has made him a billionaire, Many wrestlers say he's treated them terribly. On last week tonight, Oliver took aim at CEO McMahon's treatment of his wrestlers who are not full-time employees, but rather independent contractors. As independent contractors, the wrestlers don't qualify for annual paid leave, pensions, or health insurance benefits. Unlike other full contact sports, there is no off season to heal. In addition, Oliver points out that the WWE made over 930 million in revenue last year. And in a statement at THR, WWE said, quote, John Oliver simply ignored the facts. The health and wellness of our performers is the single most important aspect of our business. And we have a comprehensive long-standing talent wellness program. We invite John Oliver to attend WrestleMania this Sunday to learn more about our company. Might be fun to see John Oliver at WrestleMania. For more on this story, head on over to THR.com for the Hollywood Reporter News. I'm Adam Habner. I mean, it sucks. And I I get where uh, the superstars are coming from, the WWE uh, superstars, the talent. Uh, But here's the thing. 
whether they're independent contractors or full-time employees, um, just like the rest of us that sometimes don't always have the uh, most favorable of employment circumstances, they don't have to work there. Um, sometimes our jobs suck. And, you know, and I know it's not that simple. You know, it's like if you don't like where you work, you should quit. Um, there are shades of that, I think. But one of the other things that that I'm missing in my more simplistic viewpoint is, you know, the the perspective of contract. You know, it's like so I understand that if these wrestlers are under contract and it's, you know, unfavorable and the conditions aren't great, you know, again, with, you know, allegations of, you know, uh, vacation time or or uh, pensions or things like that. Um, yeah, it it sucks. But again, they're the ones that chose to sign the contract. Those are the folks that chose to work for World Wrestling Entertainment. They're the ones that chose to work for Vince McMahon. Now, I don't want to blame the talent because it's it's one of the... <sighs> It's one of those things where that is pretty terrible of the company to when it's posting, you know, 900 million in revenue to not roll that down to the talent. Basically, you're getting the talent on the cheap and it's the talent that makes the product. So there needs to be some dispensation on that. But. I, I don't know what the answer is, but what I do know is that in a performance art type of situation or, you know, an artistic creative pursuit, if you have a passion for something, you are going to do it regardless. It's like, oh, the contract is not necessarily favorable. I hate my boss. The benefits suck. But I'm a WWE superstar. You know, it's it's one of those kind of things where it's like you enter into that agreement if that's what you want to do, if that's what your dream is, if that's what your passion is. Um, let me give you a for instance uh, without without being too incredibly uh, specific, but I I work at a radio station. Well, actually, I, I work in a building that has a few radio stations and a couple TV stations. So I'm I'm around talent. I'm not one of them. I, I'm not a talent. I <laughs> but but the um it it sucks. That there are times where it sucks. And like these the same things that John Oliver is kind of going on about happen in broadcasting. You know, it's like, you know, who's full time, who's part time, who's being taken advantage of, who's being taken care of, who's being cut mercilessly with, you know, just to uh, free up budgets. Um, you know, regardless of talent or skill or longevity or whatever, entertainment is a cutthroat business. And it's one of those things where it sucks, but 
you have to take a step back and realize that that's the agreement that you go into with yourself or your family or whatever when you pursue that opportunity. Like, for example, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunities that I enjoy currently at my day job. Um, But I have been in this business long enough now where I have seen friends get jobs. I've seen friends lose jobs. And I have seen friends that I've made on the job lose jobs. And I know that I'm one wake up away from being on the beach one day. I there there's going to be a day where I'm going to come to work and for whatever reason it might be my fault, it might not be my fault and it won't matter on the day that it comes, but there's going to come a day where it's like the dream's over, time for you to go home. And I don't know what I'm going to do on that day. I don't have a contingency plan for that yet. But again, knowing the my my teeny tiny small arm of entertainment and how brutal it can be. Um, yeah, it sucks. But again, when you decide to be a part of the entertainment world you know there's that risk um unless like you know your name's on a billboard or something like that and even then i mean shoot i mean you know uh talking out of school a little bit i mean we saw that in seattle radio recently a long time uh radio show called the uh the ron and don show was just you know abruptly canceled you know long time like 13 year show just uh gone one day just totally gone and like I was talking about earlier with the 20th Century Fox Disney merger and all of those jobs being lost, it's not just the named hosts. You know, it's producers, it's board ops, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's other uh, support staff, associate producers and whatnot. So if, let's say where I work, if my marquee show host... um his show suddenly disappears from the lineup because of the position that I'm in more likely than not, I would go also because, you know, I, I am a part of that particular program. So long story short is that I, I understand where the talent is coming from. I understand where the performers are coming from in that, you know, like, like, uh, um, John Oliver said there, there, there's no off season. You can't like heal. And I, I don't want to necessarily portray, uh, doing radio as as the same as being part of the WWE. I get it. I mean, it's closer to, uh, athletics, you know, like baseball, football, uh, whatever, but it's also still performance art as well. So I, I don't know how that reconciles. I mean, these folks should have pensions. Um, there should be, you know, plans in there, but um, I don't know. I mean, on one hand, you get to be John Cena and go off and, and make movies. 
On the other hand, not everybody gets to be John Cena. And I, I, I also get that. Um, and the other thing, too, is that, yes, it would be great if Vince shares the wealth. But he doesn't have to, does he? It's his company. It's his empire. And those that choose to work for him go into that knowing his reputation, knowing the company. It's like, you know, I don't know what the solution is. If um, if you've got any ideas, you know, uh, uh, hit me up and I'd love to bring that up on the air. Um, uh, but we got to keep moving. Uh, I do want to thank again everybody who sent topics my way. And if you want to raise your voice and be heard in an upcoming episode, you can hit me up on Mike Seibert Radio Facebook. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Seibert Radio. Uh, the email address is MikeSeibertRadio at gmail.com. And leave a voicemail at our new voicemail box, uh, 231-224-MIKE. Again, that is 231-224-6453. And before we move on, let's talk about Transformers. Transformers! Um, so a couple kind of sort of related things I wanted to mention uh, that are that are relevant for this week. Uh, IDW Publishing have launched a huge Humble Bundle uh, comic sale. Uh, you can catch up on almost the entire 13-year Transformers run uh, from 2005 to 2018 for as little as $15 and help raise money for charity in the process. Now, I've got a link to an article from the AllSpark in the show notes with more details, including a link to the Humble Bundle. Um, and But they also have a listing of what's missing, uh, like a few of the early spotlight issues and collections, but it's also got a handy reading guide uh, so that like after you download uh, all of the comics, you kind of know kind of what order to go in. Uh, the Humble Bundle campaign works on a pay-what-you-want basis with the rewards differing based on the amount that you donate. There are $1, $8, and $15 reward tiers, and you can adjust what proportions of your money go to each IDW Publishing, uh, the Hasbro Children's Fund charity, and Humble, Humble Bundle themselves. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for 15 bucks, you get 13 years worth of DRM-free, multi-format digital Transformers comics and support the Hasbro Children's Fund uh, uh, while you're at it. Uh, that Humble Bundle is available now and it's available through Tuesday of next week, April 9th. So you do have limited time uh, to jump on that. And, you know, since you're getting almost 700 bucks worth of uh, comic books for for as much as 15, you know what? You may as well throw an extra couple on there as well, maybe round it up um, and uh, help support uh, Hasbro children's fund as well while you're there um so this week was april fool's day and paramount pictures thought it would be a fun idea to put out an 80s fueled promo for the home video release of bumblebee check this out it's kind of funny
Meet Charlie. She's just your typical teenage girl, working your typical summer job in your typical beachside town. But on her 18th birthday, everything that's typical about Charlie's life is about to shift gears. Because that's when Charlie discovers him, Bumblebee. He's a car. an Autobot. He's her best friend. <laughs> Sent from Cybertron by Optimus Prime to protect Earth from the evil Decepticons. You must protect the planet. We will fight on. We are Decepticon peacekeepers. This is humiliating. They literally call themselves Decepticons. That doesn't sound like red flags. Is there anyone I can help you? Do you have a family? Oh, who would be? With action, excitement, and heart. Bumblebee is fun for the whole family. That was radical. Bumblebee. Now on VHS. <laughs> and I have no idea what that yellow lightning song is from. It sounds like it's like Discount Steel Panther. I, I, I haven't really looked into it, but if you know what that is, uh, you know, feel free and sharpshoot away on that. And and the video is kind of funny, and I'll I'll have it linked up in the show notes. It, it's. It's got a, you know, I guess like a, a fake Instagram, uh, uh, TikTok type of type of VHS filter on it, where it's like it's supposed to be blurry tracking and stuff, and it's kind of interesting. And that's um, not to dwell on on Bumblebee too much, but that's this particular commercial kind of reminds me about one of my mild uh, criticisms about the Bumblebee itself is like it's a movie set in and about the 80s made by folks that weren't there. It's it's a very weird uh, perspective. So like, you know, it has, again, like the, the tracking effect, it doesn't look quite right. It doesn't look authentic to what, you know, like kind of like VHS uh, degradation uh, actually looked like and when you had like you know traffic tracking issues and and things like that but that's just me being a curmudgeon uh, but anyway that um, that reminded me that there was a story from my TFCon recap uh, last week that I forgot to tell. Now, I told you that I had met uh, John Bailey, uh, who is the voice of Shockwave and Soundwave in the Bumblebee movie. Um, he, uh, he told me when I was talking to him that there was actually a line of Soundwave dialogue that was cut from the movie. So, in the final cut of Bumblebee, this is what we heard. Ravage, eject. But according to John Bailey, there was a second line that he spoke where Soundwave says, Operation Destruction. 
as a as a instruction to ravage uh which i think uh would would have just been so perfect and so cool that it just it, it would have put us over the top and just put all the the crunchy G1ers into a nostalgia coma more so than we already were in like that that uh, Cybertron sequence at the beginning of the movie um but as an example had that line not been cut I think it would have sounded a little more like this uh, classic delivery from the iconic episode, Roll For It. So uh, you get the idea there. Um, And actually, you know what? Let's uh, let's uh, let's do those side by side one more time. God, that sounds more incomplete the more when I hear them like back to back like that. Anyway, uh, your mileage may vary. Uh, But speaking of Soundwave, I I shared an article from TFW 2005 uh, headline. Toys Alliance Mega Action Series MAS-03 Soundwave Full Color Prototype. Uh, the Clicking on the article, uh, Toys Alliance has debuted a first look in full color for MAS-03 Soundwave, or MAS, I don't, I don't know, um, uh, MAS-03 Soundwave at their booth at Hong Kong's ACG Con. I don't know what any of this is. Uh, Mega Action Series Soundwave is a highly posable, detailed 18-inch figure, and while Soundwave himself does not transform, a fun surprise in this reveal is that the included laser beak feature actually does. Uh, the display Soundwave looks to have a real cassette tape in his chest bay, which gives a good indication of how big to expect Laserbeak's tape mode to actually be. So, if Laserbeak can transform into a full-size cassette and fit into Soundwave's chest, I'm actually surprised there hasn't been a Soundwave figure with a working tape deck that can play actual cassettes. Um, especially now in the age of, you know, super premium third-party collectibles, it, uh, it seems like a no-brainer. And besides, uh, cassettes are making a bit of a comeback anyway. Um, now, granted, mostly as a nostalgic novelty, but it's, uh, it's also worth noting uh, that for some independent artists, you know, it's like, you know, independent bands, uh, underground musicians, it's, uh, it's actually cheaper to put out a small batch of demo tapes on cassette in... 2019 um it's it's cheaper to put out a small batch of cassettes than uh than to put it out on cd uh which kind of blew my mind i just figured like with all the mechanics uh and moving parts of cassettes they would just be more expensive uh uh, but yeah, no, I guess you can have tapes made uh relatively relatively inexpensively um i I I I had a bunch of tapes from local bands that I actually couldn't play on the radio because we didn't have a tape deck to actually play. So it's like, yeah, I would go to like, you know, small festivals and I'd come back with like a half dozen cassettes. 
And it's like, hey, get, can I get a CD? No, but I got a tape. And I'm like, what do I do with this? I now I would still enjoy it myself because in my in my 2005 Toyota Camry I still got a tape deck in addition to my uh, six disc CD changer so I'm good to go but uh, but yeah it's a, it still cracked me up though because like I I would end up having to skip to the digital download to uh, download that to to play on the radio uh, back during the KGRG era. So um, anyway, it, uh, it it seems that since Soundwave, you think you think about Soundwave as a character and as a toy, he's basically just kind of like a rectangle, right? Um, a Walkman with arms and legs that just kind of fold in. Um, why not start then with a working tape deck and build a figure around that? Um, would you buy that? Because I'm pretty sure I would. I mean, that's a, that's a toy I've fantasized about since I was a kid. And I, I know my buddy, uh, Michael Andrews, uh, responded to my Facebook post and, and, um, posted a link to a Soundwave figure that's an MP3 player. And I, I remember seeing him years ago. Um, and I think, uh, Mahalo Mike, uh, also, uh, has that same figure, but he hasn't used him as an MP3 player. So, uh, so go figure. Um, okay. So coming up next, I'm going to transition into a more serious topic, but it's an advocacy that's become very important to me over the past year. And I would like to, um, uh, chat with you about it. And that's, uh, been raising awareness about the prevention of human trafficking in my community. Uh, a few folks have asked me about it and, uh, recently, and I thought this would be as good a time as any to spend a few minutes elaborating on what I've been doing and why I'm posting about this stuff and what all this stuff means to me. Whatever it Uh, so last year, I collaborated with Federal Way Coalition Against Trafficking to help them promote their 5K awareness walk with a series of podcasts talking about the organization, uh, some of the myths and misconceptions about what human trafficking actually is. And more importantly, I used my platform uh, for survivors and allies to tell their stories. Uh, now, I've said before that I don't consider myself to be a journalist. I've, you know, I have a journalism degree from Green River College. And uh, but anyway, I, I'm I'm more of a hype man. You know, that's kind of the the creative space that I like to be in in uh, broadcasting. You know, tell me about your stuff. Where can I buy your book, album, thing? When is your show? And so forth. You get the idea. Uh, but what I found as I was going on this uh, journey of, you know, meeting these people and doing these recordings and editing the podcast and publishing them and promoting them, putting them out, uh, what I found is how deeply the material resonated with me. You know, it just, it just, it wrenches the heart. 
and so we uh we my my wife and I uh, lucky we uh we decided to help out again this year uh granted I'm I'm going to do the podcast a little differently this time around uh the second season of the break the chains of human trafficking podcast won't be a part of the main Mike Cybert radio feed I uh I started a new feed out on anchor uh, anchor.fm and the first episode is available now now, I interviewed Claudia Lawrence, who is the Community Mobilization Director for Seattle Against Slavery and Federal Way Coalition Against Trafficking. And um, I'd like to share with you an excerpt from that conversation where she told me about the inspiration for why these folks in my community came together to begin with. Federal Way Coalition Against Trafficking is, has a unique history among anti-human trafficking organizations locally. A lot of, there's a lot of anti-human trafficking work mm-hmm. being done in King County and in the Puget Sound area. But um, I think that FedCat, Federal Way Coalition Against Trafficking's history is unique because it comes out of an actual case that occurred in the community with a family that other families knew and that folks knew very well. So it was not, you know, just an abstract social justice issue or an issue around human rights or, um, you know, compassion and exploitation and all of those things that get brought into human trafficking. Those are all, I think, very legitimate concerns, Mm -hmm. but they can be sometimes abstract. So this case was actually of a young woman who went missing in federal way and um, nobody really knew exactly what had happened at first, but as the police investigated into the case more, they discovered that she had been the victim, or was the victim rather, of human trafficking, sex trafficking. She was a teenager and a minor at the time. And um, to this, so it, it, that really sort of surprised the Federal Way community. I was not part of it at that time, but mm-hmm. from what I understand from people that were there, it was quite shocking folks perhaps didn't think it was happening in the community, um, sex trafficking in federal way, or perhaps they thought it was happening to different sorts of folks than the girl next door, Mm -hmm. which this young lady certainly was. And so a lot of the moms knew the mother of the young girl. They had gone to school together since elementary school. They had worked together on school projects and community projects. So in trying to find this young lady um, and working with law enforcement, it became clear that there was a need for greater community support and awareness and education about sex trafficking and human trafficking. And that the reason that was necessary was in order to keep our children safe because parents really weren't at that time fully equipped, I think, to pre- entirely because they just didn't imagine it had like this awful, awful situation had like reached the point where it could affect children in our community. Um, that it would more that it was something that was happening in big cities like right. Seattle or Spokane or that it was someplace something outside the community. So they, you know, took this awful situation and they were able to um, create Federal Way Coalition Against Trafficking. 
And you can listen to my full interview with Claudia as part of the Break the Chains of Human Trafficking podcast. And dropping this Friday on that same feed will be my interview with Robert Beezer. He's uh, the executive director of Seattle Against Slavery. We talked even more about uh, what the root causes of human trafficking are and how the solution isn't always as easy as Liam Neeson busting down the door and blowing away some bad guys at the end of the movie. Um, So I will be walking in the Break the Chains of Human Trafficking 5K on May 18th in Federal Way, and I'm asking if you would join me. You heard me talk about my experience last year, and it felt incredibly powerful, and I was profoundly moved uh, seeing just so many people walking to bring uh, awareness to ending human trafficking. But I got to tell you, the uh, uh, the event was actually a lot of fun as well. Uh, you know, like there, there were some uh, great vendors. You know, there was the karate guy and face painting and, and great uh, barbecue food vendors, uh, guest speakers, some live music. It was, um, it was, it was a gorgeous day for it. Uh, great turnout. Uh, you know, people made their own signs, uh, brought dogs, pushed strollers. And more than any of that, just really came together as a community. There, there's something very inspiring about you know seeing several hundred folks walk in along this uh, course route along Highway 99 is just one large, uh, undeniable force. Um, that's, uh, again, incredibly inspiring. Um, so if you're able to join me on the walk on May 18th, here's what you need to do. First, get registered so you can get your free t-shirt. Uh, just go to uh, website runsignup.com and search for Break the Chains of Human Trafficking and follow the instructions from there. Um, I'll have links to all of this in the show notes, but just going over... Um, uh, that while uh, while you're listening, um, and if you're not able to come out, I know obviously a lot of you are listening from outside of the Seattle area, but maybe you'll consider making a donation to support my walk. You can go to that same website I mentioned, uh, runsignup.com, uh, search for Break the Chains of Human Trafficking. Uh, so there you can do a donation straight across in various denominations. Um, and if you are from out of town and would like to donate or be part of the team and get a t-shirt reach out to me directly and i'll gladly ship you one uh that would be a cool way uh to be with us in spirit you know maybe you can uh do some social media pictures or send me a pic of you wearing your shirt wherever you are um or whatever um and and again I'm uh, I'm walking in the largest human trafficking community event in Washington state, the annual Break the Chains of Human Trafficking Walk or Run fundraiser on Saturday, May 18th in Federal Way at the Commons Mall in the old Sears parking lot. Uh, by joining me, you'll be joining the movement to raise awareness of human trafficking and raise funds to eliminate 
human trafficking in our communities and listen to upcoming episodes of the Break the Chains of Human Trafficking podcast for more inspirational stories and vital information, including how you can get involved at community events, including the uh, uh, upcoming fundraiser at the Black Bear Diner in Federal Way on April 23rd. And that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to listen to my past episodes, including all of my KGRG College Radio shows, subscribe on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, the Stitcher Radio app, Apple Podcasts, and on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Like, share, rate, and review the show wherever you find it. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MikeSybertRadio and write into the mailbag, MikeSybertRadio at gmail.com. And again, that spelling, as always, is S-E-I-B-E-R-T. Leave a voicemail at 231-224-MIKE. This has been Mike Cybert Radio. My name is Mike, and until next time, make a choices.